Hi, everyone. I'm Elizabeth Stein, founder and CEO of Purely Elizabeth. And this is Live Purely with Elizabeth, featuring candid conversations about how to thrive on your wellness journey. This week's guest is Amy Liu, founder and CEO of Tower 28, a beauty company inclusive of all skin tones, skin types, budgets, and beauty philosophies. Tower 28 is the first beauty brand that's 100% clean, vegan, and free of every known skin irritant. Everything is rigorously dermatologist and allergy tested, adhering strictly to the National Eczema Association's guidelines. In this episode, we chat about Amy's journey in the beauty industry over the last 20 years as a beauty executive at some of the fastest growing prestige companies, including Smashbox, Kate Somerville, and Josie Moran Cosmetics, and how that experience gave her the confidence to start her own brand. Amy shares how, as a longtime eczema sufferer, she couldn't find any clean alternatives, so set out to create Tower 28. We talk about the challenges starting your own brand, balancing work and family, how she's authentically built the brand to cult-like status, and so much more. Keep listening to learn all about Amy and Tower 28. And if you want to try out their products, which you absolutely should, I highly recommend the lip jelly and the cream blush and bronzer. Use code LIVEPURELY15 at tower28.com. Enjoy. It's officially oatmeal season, and I'm so excited to share that you can find our Purely Elizabeth oatmeal products at select Walmart stores just in time to get cozy with a warming breakfast. You can find our blueberry flax oatmeal multi-packs and dark chocolate chunk oatmeal cups in the cereal aisle. Our gluten-free instant oatmeals are made with organic oats combined with five superfood grades and seeds for a delicious taste and texture. Our packs and cups make for an easy breakfast, snack, or dessert, and they're also perfect to take on the go. Click the store locator in the show notes to find a Walmart store near you. Happy oatmeal season and happy shopping! Amy, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for being on here. I'm such a huge fan of your brand. Same, by the way. (laughs) And thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely. So let's start with the beginning of your journey. I know that you were not always in beauty. So what were you wanting to do when you first went to school and got out of school? I went to UCSD for my undergrad and right out of undergrad, the first thing I did was get a job in consulting because I didn't really know what I wanted to do with my life, but I was trying to not make a wrong decision. And I felt like going into consulting made it so that I could be exposed to a lot of different industries. Um, So I worked for Accenture and I enjoyed it, but I didn't really, you know, I wasn't totally fulfilled. It wasn't kind of like checking all the boxes for me. I went back to business school with the intention of figuring out what I wanted to do with my life. And I, you know, I read books like, I don't know if you've ever had that moment in your life, but I read all these books, like, what should I do with my life? And spent all this time with my career counselors trying to figure it out. And I kind of honed in on really wanting to be a little bit more attached to the end user, to like the actual consumer and the things that I was thinking about every day, wanting to relate to it. As opposed to like in consulting, I was doing honestly like systems integration and um, 
things that felt a bit more like nebulous to me. Sure. At the core of it, really, I wanted to think about things like that related to women, that related to, um, and I kind of narrowed it down to like either fashion or beauty. And at the time, really, when I started doing informational interviews and thinking about it more, it really was um, fashion is much more, I don't know, subjective. Like it's much more based on like what what's happening in the creative world and kind of what trends are. Beauty is a bit more linear where it's like, like pink lip gloss is always going to be in. Do you know what I mean? There's a bit <laughs> yeah. of it where you can kind of like be a little bit more um, analytical and straightforward about it. And so I was like, okay, well, then maybe it's beauty. And that was really it for me. So I started getting, um, while I was in business school at USC, I got my internship with L'Oreal. Then my second year in business school, I started working full-time for Smashbox. And now it's been 20 years that I've worked in the beauty industry. Wow. I have had like one other job. (laughs) (laughs) So for that first job at L'Oreal, what was that like? Did you immediately feel like this is the right decision and this is the path that I want to go? And and what was that process for you? I mean, yes and no. I I really, um, it was so in awe of working in the beauty industry. Like I remember showing up in New York and working on Fifth Avenue and going up into a high rise and getting out of a cab once in a while, mostly. They're like such fancy buildings. Yeah, such fa- and like, I just, I felt like such a hillbilly coming from like Inland Empire, like LA, like just not having kind of had that like big city experience in that same way. So I think I was really enamored by it. But at the same time, L'Oreal, when I look now back at my history, it's the only time I've worked at a big company. So the thing for me was working at a big company felt like a trade-off. It's like you can work at a big company and have a very small job as a young person, or you can work at a small company and kind of do a lot of different things and have a big job and a much broader view of things. Um, So I went from L'Oreal, which I was on the lip team. And within the lip team, I was on the lip liner. Oh, wow. You you know what I mean? Like the size of the business is actually pretty big. But my focus was really, really narrow, where when I came back to LA and I started working at Smashbox, I worked, I was the, we had just launched International for the first time. And so I had a VP above me, I was a director, and I was in charge of all of International. And it's very much like being a general manager, because you are like, he basically was the one going out and getting the contracts and like figuring out which distributors and which retailers we should work with. And then I would come in and do everything else. So I would do assortments, pricing, like marketing, go-to-market plans. Like I, And it felt really entrepreneurial. And I think that was where I got the bug. And I was like, wait, this is what I want to do. And so I went from Smashbox, which was really entrepreneurial in the sense that we opened international for the first time. Then I went to Kate Somerville. And Kate Somerville was, that was right when um, Private Equity Group had come in and we took the brand into retail for the first time. Oh, I had wow. been in clinics before that and and hotels. And then I went to Josie and I was, you know, the first uh, executive they had, the first VP. And we were very small at the time. We were maybe like eight or nine million. And then we grew to like 50 million in like three years while I was there. And so like that has kind of been the trajectory that I really enjoyed being a part of, which is like a small team that can do a lot and grow a lot and wear a lot of different hats. And I think that's what really led me to 
it gave me the confidence to want to do something on my own because I felt like I'd seen it. Um, and it also gave me the the passion because I felt like that was what I was really interested in. I mean, I, I would certainly imagine that being exposed to that environment, especially having come from L'Oreal to see that other side, that it's like that it's so invigorating that energy of that startup entrepreneurial and, and not necessarily that they were startup smashbox, but that just agility and ability yeah. to make decisions. Totally. I mean, they weren't startups, but compared to, I mean, kind of they were, but, but compared to like a L'Oreal, it was. Sure. <laughs> so do you remember at what point, or if at, if it was not till really the end, at what point did you start to think in the back of your mind, like one day I want to start my own brand? I mean, to be honest with you, the entire time. So when I was at USC, I majored in marketing and I minored in entrepreneurship. And the whole time I was kind of like, I think this is what I want to do. I was actually the, like the co-president of the um, entrepreneurship management, you know, whatever company, like a club or whatever that was. And so in, in the back of my mind, that was always something I wanted to do. My my dad growing up was an entrepreneur. And I think I saw him with all his highs and lows, but he was so into it. He was so passionate about what he was doing. And then juxtaposed with my my mom, who had like, she had a job that was like nine to six every day. And just she left and she came back at the same time every day, but she didn't ever talk about her job. Like it just didn't feel like she seemed as attached to it. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I want the version my dad has. So my dad was a property developer and we would go to like Vegas and he would just be not gambling, but like looking at all the hotels and like, like paying attention to the elevators and the railings and everything. Um, and he, on the weekends, he would take me to go like see spec houses and things like that. And like, I, I wanted that level of in it, you know what I mean? Yeah, totally. So I think the whole time that I was working for other people, the thing that I really was trying to do was learn on someone else's dime and kind of pay attention. And I did do that. I think the funny thing is I got to like 40 and it was like, well, am I going to do this? And I think that was the the harder thing was actually making the, the leap from thinking about it and wanting to do it to actually doing it. And gratefully, I had a friend who basically offered to kickstart the the funding side of it. Um, and was like, you've been talking about this for such a long time. Like if you don't do it now, you're basically not going to do it because I was 40. Well, thank God for this friend of yours. Yeah. <laughs> I think thank God for anyone who like just gives you a little bit of that like tough love in the moment that you yeah. need it and like makes you kind of realize like you should just get out of your own way. Absolutely. We all need to get out of our comfort zones and yeah. need that little push. So what was it then at, at that time that you decided to start to move forward? Was it always, hey, I have this idea for not necessarily called Tower 28, but this yeah. concept? Or what was that like for, for you? So I actually started three other companies before this with other people which is something I actually haven't talked about that much previously, but not that I'm embarrassed by it, but it's more like it wasn't necessarily related to me. It was more like the three different companies I started were more like somebody else I knew had an idea and I thought really well of them. Mm -hmm. And they were like, do this with me. 
And I think I believed in somebody else almost more than I believed in myself, where I was like, well, I can do the work. I know how to do the work. So I'll attach myself to somebody else's idea. And not for any wrongdoing of anybody, but all three of those businesses didn't work. Right. And I think ultimately what I realized in that was not until I put myself in it in a way that like I could feel really passionate about it. But I don't know. I I think I even working for other people, I think so much of it was I felt like I was a really good number two. I was really good at telling someone else's story. Like I used to write, you know, Josie, all of Josie's and Kate's like I wrote other speeches. I did all their press for them. I was really good at being a hype woman for someone else. Yeah. It was actually pretty hard for me to like come into this and be like, okay, well, what is my story? What is my truth? And how do I own that? And even when I first started to get back to answering your question, even when I first started Tower 28, um, the original, again, this is funny because I never really talked about this, but the original name of the company that I wanted, the deck that I circulated to raise money from friends and family, the original idea was I wanted to name the company Tribe. Because it was this concept of like, oh, what if I could bring together my favorite people working in beauty, my tribe, and we could all come together and we could like do this thing. And it wasn't about me. It was about everybody else. And that didn't work for a number of reasons when my friends all needed jobs that paid really well. (laughs) So I couldn't hire them. Minor problem. (laughs) And two, tribe was very hard to trademark. So my lawyer basically like, you can't do that. And I was like, okay. So for those reasons, but also like, I think when I got into it, I was like, okay, well, what is actually true to me? So from the very beginning, the products were always made the way they are today, meaning clean, safe for sensitive skin. I've had eczema my entire adult life. I was following the National Eczema Association as a guide for myself to figure out like, what kind of soap should I use? What kind of detergent? How should I, you know, all these kind of daily things in my life. And I thought for sure, okay, even just for myself, I'm going to make products this way. So that was true from the very beginning. But the way that I like, quote unquote, sold them or how I targeted it in the beginning was different. I was like, oh, well, okay, we'll make this for like, I wrapped it in a different bow. And then as we started trying to sell the products and talking to people about them, people were like, oh, well, I I was like, in person, I was telling them this part about the National Eczema Association. And they were like, wait, that part's really interesting to me. The part that it's safe for sensitive skin. In the beginning, I was more like, let's just be, Glossier was really popular at the time. And I was like, what if there was like a Glossier of the West Coast? And that was the concept, like Glossier of the West, which was like cool, fun, accessible products. And frankly, I don't think we really kind of took off until the truth of the product, which was the sensitive skin part of it really came into it, which I'm sure is something you can identify with too. Cause I know that's so much of what your story is. Yeah. I think that's such an important point. And for anybody thinking about launching a product or just living their life, it's really like speaking your truth is what becomes most authentic and what people connect with. Totally. Totally. I think it's just sometimes hard as somebody who's not been like a very, and even in the beginning of this conversation, yeah, totally talking about how I'm not like a, I didn't even have social media before this started. Like I didn't have an Instagram account. I didn't have a, like, I just, I'm not the type of person who's very like self-promoting in that sense Sure, on my own. And so it was harder for me to kind of step into that part of it. All right. Do you consider yourself an introvert? 
no, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not. I'm actually very extroverted. I really like people. Like, yeah. I really enjoy meeting people. Probably there's nothing more important to me than my relationships. Um, so I'm not introverted. I'm just not public. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, totally. So after having your 20 years of experience and then starting Tower 28, what would you say was like the biggest lesson that you were able to take, especially being so high up in a a company and essentially being that secondhand person, you had so much amazing experience that I think for so many people starting in brand, they might be coming in with no experience at the industry. So A, what was the biggest experience lesson learned? And then conversely, what was most surprising that all of a sudden when you were founder CEO, you're like, okay, this is different. So maybe I'll I'll pull that apart. Probably the biggest surprise was how little I knew. (laughs) I mean, I actually really genuinely, I'm almost embarrassed to say this, but I really felt like I had been so, I had worked for such a long time. I had been so, I'd had a seat at the table. Like I had watched, I'd been so close to it that I was like, oh, for sure. I know how to do this. And I think getting into it, there were so many times that I felt like just because you've like done, I was in marketing, but marketing, I would argue, is like a hub, right? So you do see everything sure. else. But I think doing it, I thought, oh, I kind of understand what PD does because I've been around it or I understand what ops does. And I went to business school, whatever that means, which it turns out it doesn't mean that much. And I think getting into it, I was like, it's really different to understand someone's job than it is to do it. And so there were so many times that I just was like, I actually just don't don't know what I'm doing. Um, and it was really humbling, to be honest with you. So at the same time, I would say it's been surprising to me in some senses. But at the same time, I think the lesson I've learned has been, it's almost like twofold, right? Like, I'm actually really glad that I've had the experience that I've had. I don't think I could have done this without it because it gave me so much perspective. And I think even the fact that I've spent so much time working has made me, I think it makes me a better manager. I think it makes yeah. me a better leader because I understand what it's like to be on the other side, specifically of a founder too, to be part of a founder led business. And everybody says, take this with no offense, please. <laughs> says, founders are crazy, right? Like, yeah. <laughs> And I'm like, oh, I get it. Founders are crazy because I've worked for founders too. And I'm sure I'm crazy in my own right. Sure. Um, but I'd like to think that I'm just like slightly less crazy because at least I'm, <laughs> I'm conscious. Because you can empathize. Yeah. Because I can empathize, right? So at the same time, I would say the amount of time that I've I've worked in the industry has really benefited me. But I would also agree with the idea that like you're kind of never ready. It's like having kids. Like you're never ready to have kids. You're never ready to start a business. You just figure out what you need to know once you jump in there. But I'm also really grateful that I waited this long in some ways because I feel like I don't know that I would have been ready for what's happened if I hadn't had that time to like almost like grow up and metabolize a little bit what um, what those lessons were and see other people make mistakes. And so I'm going to make my own mistakes for sure. And I have, but I've tried to not make the same ones that I saw already. Yeah. Well, that's great advice. And I think for people who are 
in their career, it's also really refreshing to hear your story and be someone who is 40 years old and going after their dream and not like, hey, I've been stuck in this industry forever and not making a change. Yeah, I think, don't you feel like, I I feel like when you look back on it, everything makes sense. You know what I mean? Always. Everything happens for a reason. And then, but at the time, I remember feeling so, there are times in my career, certainly, and career has been important to me. It's been a big part of my life um, and my identity, I would say. But there were so many times that I was, I would think to myself how, like, I feel very uneasy that I was on the wrong path. And I'm like, should I be doing something else? Is this the right thing for me or whatever it is? And now I look back on it and I'm like, oh, of course that made sense that I had these experiences, relationships, whatever it was. And it's almost like just, and now that I have kids, I think so much of it is like, I'm telling my kids, I'm like, just like, work on the thing in front of you, right? Like, don't be so stressed out about what my my 15-year-old son recently said to me. He's like, I just worry that when I get older, I'm not going to be able to afford having like three kids. And I'm like, oh, I'm like, I get it. But like, maybe you should just worry about waking up for class. Like, just, right. <laughs> That's you know, like, I think sometimes we get so ahead of our own, our, ourselves and our, anyways. So yes. yeah, it's like trusting the process, really. Totally. And I think like, I feel like our society does such a bad job of like glamorizing success at a really young age where it gives people pressure to do that. And, you know, I think it's okay if it takes whatever happens, you know what I mean? It happens when it needs to. So yeah, absolutely. And also curious for you, because so you do have three kids. I don't know all their ages. One is 15, but that has certainly made a difference in your life and the ability to have them and not be in a startup mode and really like have be a mom for them as much as you could be versus, you know, it may be being different and starting the company back when you were 25 years old. To your point, part of the impetus of starting Power 28 was really when my third child went to preschool and I was like, oh, wait. I think I can actually try now because that's an option for me. I think it's really hard. And actually, I run this um, kind of mentorship and education program. Like I, I talk to women all the time about this and it is as it is really hard. The cost of childcare, certainly in America, is very hard and it makes it really difficult to make that. I think often it makes it really difficult to make that trade off between like even working, honestly, a job and investing yeah. in career at a certain point, you're like, if it costs this much money to send my kid to childcare or have childcare, and then I can make this much. And then you think about like the differential in that and the fact that you're not seeing your child, you know, all you're missing this time. I think it's actually a big problem for us as a society that that's the case and it takes women out of the workplace. But I, I think at some point, and it's easier for me to say because I got funding, but you like you just have to like take a, a leap and invest in yourself too and and hope that it works out, whether it works out in like a big way or if it is just like a, a career thing. Because I think there are like a few years that really make a big difference in your in your career. So for me, I actually did take some time off, which is something I wish more people would talk about and feel less scared about doing. That said, I did it after I had established my career, right? So like I worked for a long time and then I 
took four years off where I just consulted um, because I wanted to be more present for my children. I wanted to be available when they were really small. I felt like I wasn't good at anything I was doing, right? Like I was, um, I was working, I was, I had small children and I don't know if you've ever felt like that, but I feel like I was, I felt like I was doing a lot of things, but not doing anything really well. Yeah. And that was when I, my, I came home and I told my husband and I still think this is the greatest gift anyone's ever given me, but like, I was really unhappy. And he was like, wait, why don't you just quit? And I was like, wait, that's an option. <laughs> Like we can, and he was like, that's, he was like a very frugal man. And he's like, that's why I have been encouraging us to like live below our means. So that way we can have choices. And so, so I did. So I took four years and I worked, I consulted, I took care of my kids and then I was ready. I was like, okay, well, I've, I've had that experience too, which I'm really grateful to have had. Yeah. And I know that that's a privilege in and of itself. And then, and then I started Tower 28 when my youngest was in preschool, which, I mean, frankly, the timing is never perfect, but it was, it worked, it worked out well for me, I felt, and I'm glad I was able to do it. Yeah. I think, again, that's like so refreshing for people to hear that you can, if you can do it, like being able to take the time that you can then have a, a next part, a next chapter, and it's not just going to be the end of, of a career, perhaps. Well, let's, let's dive into the brand and the products. And for someone who isn't familiar with Tower 28, which I'm sure most people are, but if you're not, what should people first know product-wise? What do you always recommend people to start with? And tell us a little bit about the brand and the products. Yeah. So the easiest way to talk about it is we talk about it being the products have to be good, clean, fun. So the way that I think about that is good is really about performance. I think especially um, before, I think things have changed a little bit, but in clean beauty, the idea around products being good was less plausible. So it was this idea that you had to, if you wanted a product that was clean, meaning like, you know, void of toxins and things like that, that you had to be okay with some sort of a sacrifice around performance. Yeah. And so as somebody who's worked in, traditional beauty where products really had to work. And I'm friends with a lot of makeup artists and all of that. Like I knew that the performance part of it had to be there for me. So like for me, good has to be just like high performance. It works. So whether we're talking about the product having long lasting, having high pigment, being not blotchy, like all of those types of things, like good, the product has to be good. For us, clean means two things. It means the clean part is we follow the Goop, the Credo, the Sephora guidelines in terms of what it means to be clean. Do they all have the same guidelines? By They're the way? all different. So we like kind of pull all of them and we we just use that as like our, our study. Like for instance, I would say Sephora's is probably the least stringent and then Credo's and Goop's are quite strict. And so we're just like, for an insurance policy, I'm just going to follow all of them. Sure. <laughs> I am not a dermatologist or a toxicologist or any of those types of things. And I don't study these ingredients to the level that they do, but they study them really regularly and they maintain them and they update them. And so I would rather follow somebody else's third party kind of credibility than, than try to make that up on my own. So we do follow their guidelines. And to me, like, I personally dislike the greenwashing aspect of it and the like fear mongering. 
it's just like, if we know better, then why wouldn't we do better? Right? Like, why would you make products with like talc and I don't know, as best like all these terrible ingredients or even just like synthetic fragrance? Like why do it if you don't have to? And even on the vegan side of things, I'm like, it's actually really easy to avoid beeswax and really easy to avoid carmine. So like, I don't know why you wouldn't be cruelty-free, right? Be vegan. So that's the clean part of it. The other part of clean for us is we actually lump in safer sensitive skin into that same conversation. So like I said, I've had eczema my entire adult life and I really identify with the, have you ever had troubled skin, Elizabeth? I've had my fair share of acne, like in my twenties, but nothing, uh, not eczema or anything like that. So I've had, um, so eczema is a similar to acne actually, in the sense that it's an inflammatory issue that gets really, I think, stoked by bacteria. Um, but it's chronic and it doesn't go away and you don't know why you have it. And I got it on my face and I got it on my hands. So, and I used to get it on my legs. So in areas that are very public, that are hard to cover. And specifically working in the beauty industry, I think you also feel like you need to know how to wear makeup and you feel like you need to have like perfect skin because you're all day, you're talking about like, how do I sell this like skin perfecting product or whatever it is. Um, And so for me, it was all over my face and I felt really self-conscious about the fact that I had the issue, but also like I wanted to cover it up. And I think when you're talking about putting makeup on, I actually really worried that I was just perpetuating my same issue and I was going to make it worse. Right. So when I started working at Josie was the first time I became more, um, like I was, she was really a pioneer in the clean beauty movement. And that's when I started learning about all these toxins and that type of a thing. And I think, you know, there's a widely stated statistic that what you put on your skin goes into your bloodstream. I don't know to what degree that is true. And they say it's like 80% of what you put on your skin goes in your bloodstream. But for me, I felt like if my skin, if my skin barrier isn't even like functioning and my skin is literally open, much like if you had acne, honestly. So meaning like, I, cause for me, my eczema was like weepy sometimes. And then it was like crusty and it was always kind of open. And so then I thought like, God, everything's going into my skin. So I should be even more careful than somebody else would be. Sure. So that was when I really was like, okay, I, I need to be able to both use, but I also couldn't find products that were not only, it it was very hard for me to find products that were both clean and safe for sensitive skin. So for instance, a lot of the products that were clean in an effort to avoid synthetic fragrances would use essential oils. There is nothing wrong with essential oils. And they're also like, they're really different. Like some essential oils are really easy for your body to absorb, Some, if you're sensitive, can be really sensitizing, right? Like if you think about like the citrus ones or the peppermint ones, they're really like, and and harder to, essential oils are very, very small molecularly. And they're also harder to control in terms from batch to batch in terms of how strong they are. And so a lot of, when I tried to make the switch to clean, a lot of those products just didn't work for me. And then when I tried to make the switch to safer sensitive skin, I was like, okay, I, I went into Sephora, I went into like drugstores and I'd be like, okay, what can I use that is just going to be safe for me? And I didn't feel like the performance was there. And I also felt like it was quite like boring. Like everything had like a big red cross on it and maybe <laughs> like, a, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, you didn't want to out on your 
beauty counter there. No, and like I think for some people it's fine because like the oatmeal bath is like something you do when you're in a moment and then you get better and you go back to your regular regular life and yeah. that's fine. It's probably the same way a lot of your customers feel. It's like if I was if I had a I don't know, Hashimoto, like if I had some sort of a issue that was like, I need to be gluten-free, that's just my lifestyle now. And so for me, it's eczema. And so I wanted to marry those two things. So products that were not only clean, but safe for sensitive skin, but wrap it in a bow that was, and then that's our third pillar, which is fun, right? Like I think beauty is an expression of a lifestyle and you want to feel like it's fun. So fun to me is like the way it's the packaging, it's the messaging, it's the branding of it. It's colorful. It's something I'm proud to take out of my purse and have everybody see. But lastly, it's also like an accessible price point. So I really wanted, um, and even like as a mom and having younger kids and my daughter's now 13 and I, you know, like I wanted younger people to be able to make that trade off to a product that was better for them but feel like it was accessible. And so my goal has always been for us to be in a prestige environment. So we're sold at Sephora, US and Canada, Revolve, Credo, Goop, but we're all, so in a prestige environment, but we're always the entry level price point in those environments. And that was really what I wanted. I wanted you to still be able to like shop there, but I wanted you and to get the highest quality product but also be able to access it. So our lip gloss, for instance, which is a best-selling product is- Which I have like seven colors of. Ah, it's good, right? It's actually yeah. more like a lip oil. So it's really made out of like a bunch of different oils. But that product is actually $16 as opposed to, which we try really hard to get keep the price down, as opposed to most lip glosses at Sephora are like definitely upwards of 20. Like yeah. I would say like 22, 26, 28 type thing. And so that was really the thing. So in terms of you asked about what our best-selling products are, our best-selling products are the lip gloss is, I would say, like our probably number two. We have a lot of different shades. People love it. It's never sticky. Um, it was inspired by really back in the day, I loved those Lancome Juicy Tubes. I don't know if you yeah. remember those. <laughs> I wanted like something like lots of colors and collectible and like just easy to put on. Um, but our number one selling product is actually our SOS spray, which have you tried that one? I just got it. Oh, good. Okay. Yes. I so I like just started using it last week. So doesn't seem like you have acne anymore, but if you did, it's actually really good because it is antibacterial and anti-inflammatory. So it works really well for people who have acne, people who have eczema, basically any source of like inflammation or redness where you're trying to calm your skin. And then the antibacterial part is just keeping it clean. So even if you're talking about like post-workout, when you're like sweat is essentially a toxin and it's like sitting on your skin. So a lot of people have a hard time when they sweat and then they don't immediately wash their face because it's like a, it can be sensitizing. Sure. And so if you, whether it's that or like we hear people use it for like piercings, um, for aftercare, we hear about people using it for tattoos. It's funny. It's become almost- How about a sunburn even? Sunburn, great. Redness, inflammation, anything. Yeah. We call it like the happy solution for angry skin because it's like anytime your skin is like kind of angry, it just works for that because it has an ingredient in it called hypochlorous acid. And hypochlorous acid is something our own bodies make. So 
when your body experiences anything, like if you get a cut, your skin wants to heal itself, right? If you spray this on topically, it mimics the same response that your body makes when it has a cut, which is like it sends the white blood cells. Oh, wow. And it tries to protect itself, right? So it does, If you, it's that's the whole point. It, you're, we want our skin to look beautiful, but the number one job your skin has is to fight, it's to fight the elements, right? To not let things inside your skin. So it kind of mimics that same thing where it's like when it sprays it topically, your brain is like, oh, we're making hypochlorous acid. Let's go make more. Let's go send the white blood cells. Let's go defend ourselves. And it will calm and soothe and at the same time, keep everything clean. So if you look at the reviews, it's actually astounding the experiences people have had. Like this is a product that like people love our our makeup products and they're like, oh, it is nice. But like the thing that is like a game changer for people has been our SOS spray where people I don't know come up to me and they're like, I've had this rash my whole life. They tell me the weirdest stories. And it makes me really proud because it actually is exactly what I hoped it would be in terms of like just changing people's skin. Yeah. I was going to say that must make you so happy to hear those stories. And like, that's what makes it all worth it is when you hear comments from your community like that. Yeah. And I'm sure you get that too. I mean, it is one of those things where it's like, you feel like you don't have to make Finally, you're like, oh, I don't have to make trade-offs that same way where like, and actually you're making someone's skin better. So much better. Yeah. Yeah. That's amazing. So you've done such a phenomenal job of creating this fun, approachable brand. And I feel like, as we were saying at the beginning of recording, like you're everywhere. You've got an end cap in Sephora, it feels like, and, and just... Uh, a lot of social buzz. What are some of the tips that you can share as far as building your brand? And and really, was there a moment where it really took a different trajectory and took off? I would say this probably in the beginning, and I'm sure you can probably identify with this too. In the beginning, there are these moments where we were at dinner, my family, and we saw this girl pull out a lip gloss. Oh and use it in the wild. And my daughter was like, and we were all staring at her and we were like, I'm like, and I don't know her. I, <laughs> she's right, not my friend. Her here. <laughs> she didn't buy it just because she was my friend. Like there are these moments that are so meaningful, right? Where it just feels like it's real. And I think in the beginning, the thing that really helped us was, I mean, it's honestly just awareness, right? So just trying to like, trying to get it in the hands of the right people. We got, I don't want to say lucky, but at the same time, I think it's because I'd like to think it's because we made really good products. I'm not an influencer. I am well connected in the industry, but I am not like connected to influencers necessarily. Right. So I know other people who basically are employees and work at other brands, but it wasn't like I knew people on TikTok and Instagram. And so we actually just compiled a list on our own. We went through me and I had two interns at the time who are still with me and obviously are not interns anymore and I'm really <laughs> grateful for their hard work. But we literally collectively in the beginning, we compiled like a list of, I think it was like maybe a hundred or 150. Yeah. And back then, I don't know if this is still true, but people would just leave their addresses on their YouTube profiles. That's so crazy. Like, you would be able to like look at someone's Instagram profile and then you could go to them on YouTube and then on the information tab, it would be like, if you want to send me PR, here it is. And we would take their addresses or sometimes we would DM them and we'd be like, oh, we're a new brand. Like, 
would love to send you some free PR if you'd be willing to accept it. And now that I think about it, I'm like, maybe you couldn't can't do that now because it's so much more crowded. But like, yeah, because we had 50 people liking our posts. It was like not anything. And people would say, yes, we would send our packages to people. And that actually made a big difference. I mean, like people opening boxes. I remember there was a woman named Nicole Guerrero who I still am not friendly with, by the way. Like I don't, we like, she opened up the box. She tried our lip jelly. She posted it. And then she showed herself buying like 10 more. Cause she was like, wait, I love this. I'm going to, Oh wow. And you know that she's an influencer and she doesn't have to actually buy anything. And I actually thought there was something wrong with the, like, we all were like, there's something wrong with the site. Like all of a sudden it started getting <laughs> sales and we, our, our, our Instagram following started changing a lot. And we were like, wait, there's something like it broke. There's something wrong here. And it was because of her. And I like, I sent her flowers. She didn't respond. Like, I mean, I tried to give her more product, like, and it's fine. I'm not like, whatever. Yeah. It was just this very funny thing where I don't even know if she knows like how much that meant to me in that early moment. But there are these moments of lift where you're like, wait, And the one thing I always try to tell other entrepreneurs, because somebody else gave me this advice, is like in the beginning, I was really, what should I pay attention to? Should I like, is it like LTV? Is it CAC? Is it like, what are like the metrics? Like, what does success look like? And I, you know, how how do I get my gold star? And I remember this um, mentor of mine said to me, he was like, don't worry about any of that. All you need to worry about is momentum. Because you as a founder need to feel it so that you can keep getting up in the morning. You need to feel like the work that you're putting out there is actually making sense and like you're going in the right direction. And that's all you need to pay attention to. And I actually think that was such good advice because it's been really true for me. Like the other stuff will work its stuff out, but you have to feel like what you're doing is making sense. More recently, I would say the thing that has made a big difference for us is we we've been on multi-branded uh, linears at the at Sephora. And now this year is the first year. This past year, we went into our own branded end cap in 160 stores. And then this year, we'll go into the balance of them. So another 500. Congratulations. That's amazing. Yeah. So it's been a very, that part, I think, has made a huge difference for our business. That's amazing. Well, I think like what you said at the beginning of that is also that you have an amazing product. And at the end of the day, like you can do all of those things and you can send it to the right influencers, but it's all about having that foundational, amazing product at the end of the day. Yeah. And I think sometimes people try to skip through that. Like I've actually had, I had someone, a product developer working with me at one point, and this was like a real point of contention where she would be like, product just needs to be like 70%. Like it just needs to be 70% and the rest of it is just selling because it's all kind of the same. And I was like, no, maybe, (laughs) but if you're a celebrity. (laughs) You can get away with that. But like, I'm, I am nothing like a celebrity. And I just really value the, I value people's money. I value people's trust. And I think like people vote with their dollars. And so, you know, like you have to sell a good product, like full stop. Fully hundred percent. So as you were mentioning the advice that you had about like having that momentum to show up as the best version of yourself, I'm curious to hear what you do in your daily life to show up as the best version of yourself. Any habits that you have, any ways that you manage 
your kids and everything else going on in your life. Well, it's funny that we're talking so early in the new year because (laughs) one of the things I found that has really helped me that I'm trying to do really regularly is I go on a walk every morning. I wake up really early just as a habit. And what's early? Like five. Okay. Early. (laughs) Uh, Early. And I know my team is always like, you don't sleep. I wake up really early. And I think the reason I do it is because I don't know if I consciously did it this way, but because I don't set an alarm, I just wake up. But I think because all day long, I, I have three kids, I have a business with employees and like people are always talking to me and asking me for things. So it's kind of the only time in the day that I'm alone. And so what I've been doing in that time is I wake up, wish I didn't make, drink coffee immediately, but I do. Um, but I make myself a cup of coffee and I literally just take myself on a walk, me and my dog. And I put on headphones. I listen to podcasts. I listened to yours. And I will just go on a walk. And I've found that that is like, it just helps me have a minute before I'm just bombarded. And it makes a difference for me. I love that. Do you find that that's your quiet time where you often think of like your best ideas? Or I know for me, I, I have a similar way of it's that morning time, quiet time. And it's always like those revelations come in the in that moment. Yeah, I think it can be revelations, not just from a a business sense, but almost like from a self sense, right? Where it's a wild ride, right? Doing this. And there are days where I'm like, remind me again why I'm doing this. (laughs) (laughs) Why am I doing this? And I think that that's actually a big question that you have to keep answering for yourself. Because in life, I think oftentimes the goalpost keeps moving, right? Like I think about I don't know about you, but when I first started this, my goal was just to make as much money as I was making before in my job, but to be able to like own my time. And I think now I realize in some ways I actually have less like freedom in a certain way because I am really accountable, right? Like I have all these, we have 25 employees now who have their own, they're breadwinners. They like have their own families to support. Like I feel very accountable to them. We now have an investor, like we have a cap table in general, like that I, I'm also like accountable to. So it's like freedom is probably not the right word that I would use, but then it's like, well, what is it that I, and I, the money part I've never been super motivated by. So then it's like figuring out what it is that I want out of it. Like, what is it? Yeah. What's success for you? What is success for me? And I think, you know, so much of that is like impact. It's a lot of the things that we kind of already talked about. Like it really genuinely makes me happy when I see people send in their before and afters. The team actually also really energizes me. Like, I think it's really fun to be part of a a winning team is really, really fun. And to like show that like a small company can do big things. Amazing. So yeah, I don't know. I think it's just trying to figure that out for yourself. It, it's so funny thinking, as you said, I was just thinking back to like what I thought at the beginning and my goal at the beginning was like to just get in the health food stores. It wasn't even to like get into Whole Foods. Yeah. It was, I'll be in like a small co-op and that goal post is continually changing. Yeah. All right. We're going to move into some rapid fire Q&A. <laughs> Three things that you're currently loving. Oh, so even though I'm not using them right now, 
these AirPod Max, I am obsessed with. I think they're so good. And to the point where I, for Christmas, gave everybody on my team one. Because I... So every year we have a tradition where I give everybody on the team a book that I've read and that I really like. And every year I kind of feel like they're like, cool. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you for sending me Atomic Habits. That's so (laughs) (laughs) To say that this was more well-received is probably an understatement. (laughs) So this year I was like, here are some, the AirPod Max I really like, and I'm going to give you here. These are a few podcasts that have really made a difference for me. I don't know if they really listened to the podcast, but they um, like the earphones. <laughs> a second thing I would say I really love, and this was a gift that somebody gave me, but I've now gifted it to three other people. Oh, how cute gift. is that? It is a bedazzled Stanley Cup. Love which- that. I just think is so, it feels like an award, first of all. I actually barely even take it out of my house. I pretty much just leave it here. Somebody gave it to me and I thought it was such a good gift because it's just like something you use every day. And then, I don't know, it actually does make me drink more water. And because it's a gift, it feels kind of special um, and it looks special. (laughs) So cute. (laughs) Which is nice. And a third thing that I'm loving, I started taking magnesium for sleep. And I feel like it's been a game changer because I was- Which magnesium are you taking? Amazon's bestseller, whatever that is. It's like a white bottle with blue writing on it. I don't even know. It's like the one that has like 50,000 reviews or something like that. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I feel like it's been a real game changer for me because I've had a, I don't know if it's age, I don't know if it's stress or what it is, but I was waking up in the middle. I can go to sleep fine. But then I wake up in the middle of the night and I can't go back to sleep. And so this, that has been a a game changer for me. No, love that. I think a lot of people could use that tip for sure. Yeah. Favorite words to live by. Um, somebody said this to me a long time ago, and I think it's true that you can have it all, but you can't have it all at once. And I think that's, I think that's true. I think yeah. you... I'm grateful that I've had the chance to like have kids. I'm grateful that I've been able to start this business. I have a loving relationship with my husband, which I think is rare after being together for, we've been together for 23 years. And I think none of those things happened. Like, it's not like you have to invest in different things at different points in your life. And there have been points where I've been like, much more focused on job, much more focused on kids, much more whatever. And I think that that's okay. Um, And you have to almost like give yourself some breathing room for that to be the case. But yeah, I I think about that a lot. I love that. Uh, Favorite productivity hack? Oh God, I wish I was more productive. Um (laughs) (laughs) Or you could say, I don't have any. That could be one too. You know, I, I have really wanted to be I'm, I'm part of this like um, little group chat of different beauty founders. And like, there's one woman um, who's always talking about time blocking. And I'm, with, I'm like, oh, I wish I was like a person who would time block or do those kinds of things. Um, I don't really have a productivity hack. I would say um, my big win recently, <laughs> was not really a win, is I finally told my executive assistant, I was like, can you just block out time for me to eat lunch every day? 
Like <laughs> that's a good productivity hack. Let's start with the basics. Like just like before anyone tries to claim that time, just give it to yeah. me. Yeah. Like love it. And that's I mean, it seems like such a small thing, but I'm like, I like I live by my calendar and I look at that. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, I get to have lunch. <laughs> yeah. Love that. A favorite book for growth. I have been um reading this book recently called The Psychology of Money. My husband actually introduced me to it because he he's now our CFO, but previous to that, he was an institutional um, investor. And it's a lot about investing also at the same time, but I actually find that it is very much about the way to think about money and the way to think about wealth. And I don't mean in just a financial sense. I mean, in a he talks a lot about sort of what success is. Anyways, yeah, it's it's a good book. He has a, he also has a, if anyone's interested, he has a podcast that you can listen to with your head. <laughs> Perfect. It's called the Morgan Stousel, I think, podcast. Anyways, okay. I, I find I find it really good. And they're really short. They're like eight, 12 minute. Um, oh, perfect. Episodes. Yeah. Favorite business moment. So there's a very well-documented moment on TikTok <laughs> where my team surprised me. So the first, this year in the spring, this past year in, in 2023, was the first time I saw our branded in cap in store. And my team surprised me by like, you know, they did the whole thing. They, like they put a sheet over it. And I knew that they were doing this. Like I was standing, they like kept me outside so that they could film it. Um, but I didn't know that my kids would be there. Oh. And so my kids were the ones who like pulled off the sheet and my whole team was there. And even just now, like talking about it, I'm getting emotional, but like it has, we posted it on TikTok and it very organically got like, I don't remember, like one millions of views. Wow. Um, and it was a very much without any paid behind it, which I thought was interesting, but it was a very genuine moment in the sense where I, I cried, but I genuinely cried. Like I, it was this, I've worked my entire career. I'm getting teary, like living this for you. Um, <laughs> like I very genuinely, I've worked my entire career at different brands, but always with Sephora, right? Like Sephora is probably the only consistency I've had. And so, and Sephora was my dream. It was like the thing that I really wanted. And so to be, we went from a half shelf to one shelf to two shelves. And then like a branded end cap is like a different thing. You've made it. And it was at the Century City Mall, which it was like, it's a huge mall. And it just felt like this, like an overwhelming amount of emotion for me in a way that was like cocooned by like just looking at all these people in my life, like my husband and my kids and like my nanny became like our operations person, like all these, (laughs) you know, all these like people who are really special in my life. And yeah, it was, it was, it was very emotional for me. Oh, I love it. All right. Got to go look at that TikTok now. Uh, And lastly, what is your number one non-negotiable to thrive on your wellness journey? Sleep. I don't know. Like there are people who, I mean, as much as like people are like, how do you not sleep that much? To me, it's not about like the number of hours I get. It's about like the, the quality of that sleep. Yeah. Which as a mother has been very challenging over the years at different points. But I'm now at the point where my kids are a little older. And so that doesn't happen as much where they're waking me up. But like having uninterrupted quality sleep, I think is like a game changer. Like you like that's why I'm like, 
who knew magnesium? I think melatonin made me a little bit more like not feel as good in the morning. Yeah. It's like groggy, I feel like. Yeah. Maybe it's like the groggy thing. Um, but yeah, I think sleep is really important. Agreed. Well, Amy, <laughs> thank you so much for being on the podcast. In closing, where can everybody find you and what's next? Yeah. Um, so you can find Tower 28 Beauty at Tower 28 Beauty um, on all the socials. So Instagram, TikTok, even Facebook, et cetera. Me personally, I'm Amy, A-M-Y-L-I-U underscore T28 only on Instagram. I am not on TikTok. <laughs> I do actually look at it. I just don't post very much, but I am in there. So if you DM me, I, I am in there. And in terms of what's next, I mean, really, this has been 2023 was like a banner year for us. The 2024 looks like it will be too, which is really exciting. We are going into all stores. So we should be coming into, for anyone here in the US, a store near you. We're also launching um, at Mecca in Australia, if you know what that is. That's so cool. Yeah. So we'll be launching at Australia. We're currently already in Canada. And we've got some really exciting products coming out. We actually just launched today a collab with Kung Fu Panda. Oh, so cool. Mm -hmm. Which is fun because my kids think it's cool. (laughs) I bet. Well, Amy, thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much for having. Bye. Bye. Thanks so much for joining me on Live Purely with Elizabeth. I hope you feel inspired to thrive on your wellness journey. If you enjoyed today's episode, don't forget to rate, subscribe, and review. You can follow us on Instagram at purely underscore Elizabeth to catch up on all the latest. See you next Wednesday on the podcast.